Let's go! Man, I am so excited to be able to share with you today what God is going to do next here at Redemption Church. Our team has been working behind the scenes on this for the better part of a year. And so we are ready to be able to share this with you. But before we dive into what God is gonna do next, let's just take a moment and pause and celebrate everything that God has already done in the past. You know, when me and Ashley unloaded that U-Haul trailer, when we moved from New York back home to Beaumont with a dream to plant a church, we told God, we will go anywhere. We prayed Isaiah. We said, God, here I am, send me anywhere you want. And God said, you're home in Beaumont. And I'm like, anywhere but there. (laughs) But yet God had a plan. We had no clue what was in store for us, but we knew that we were gonna trust and follow Jesus. And we prayed that we would see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child would experience life change through Jesus. And over the last seven years, God has continued to answer that prayer. I remember the joy and the anxiety of of planting the church. It's been the best seven years of my life, but it hasn't been the easiest seven years of my life. Let Let me show you this photo right there. Look at this, this is me and Ashley, day one when we opened the doors of our church. Day one when we opened the doors of our church. Let me show you this picture of me and Ashley, day one. Day one, look at that. We had no clue what we were in store for. Look at that. We just, uh, you know they say that women age like wine, but men age like milk. Like how does Ashley just keep getting better? And, and what happened to me? It's like he gave up. Um, <laughs> look at that guy. I don't even think I own a tie anymore. It's been the hardest years, but it's been the best years. I, I remember those early days. Those early days whenever we planted the church and I worked two jobs. I taught high school and I built websites on the side. My wife was pregnant with our first child and I did that and sermon prepped at midnight while also in college because the church couldn't afford to be able to keep us on staff. And so we worked. It's been a hard grind over these last seven years. I remember when we opened our church in the bar and when you would show up on a Sunday morning, it smelled like shame and the Shekinah glory having church at Crocker Street. But you know what? God, he showed up. I remember on on our first Easter Sunday morning, God showed up, but the people who opened the building did not show up. Nobody was there. And we called them and said, hey, why, where, where are you at? You need to open the doors. And they said, hey, it's Easter. I thought, I didn't think y'all were having church because it was a holiday. I'm like, we are a church. It's our day. But they didn't show up. I remember those days. I remember when our only offering one Sunday morning was a cigarette butt and a marble. Like, I remember those days. I remember when we launched with 171 people, grand opening. And by the next week, we grew our church down to 40. I remember those days. They were the best days. And they were the hardest days. 
but God has been so faithful. We have seen stories of life change over these seven years. We have seen addicts be delivered. We have seen the wombs of infertile women be opened. We have seen miracles that have happened. We have heard testimonies. We have baptized over 350 people. We have just seen healings and broken bones restored and broken hearts healed and broken homes restored. We've seen God move in mighty ways. And so if you're here today and you've experienced life change through Jesus at redemption, don't just sit there, but stand to your feet and let's glorify God. Let's praise God for who he is and what he's done. God, you are worthy. God, you are glorious. God, you are faithful. God, you are good. We praise you, Jesus. We glorify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. We're grateful for you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, and in Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Well, you guys can grab a seat. Man, I am fired up and ready to preach today. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And while you're finding your place, I'm going to call the ushers forward. We got a little bit of groundwork to lay before we get into Multiply. The ushers are going to be passing out what is our Multiply Generosity Guidebook. This is your everything you need to know about Multiply. Our teams work real hard on being able to do that. So do me a favor, bring this book every Sunday to church and every small group that you go to. Because in this, you're going to have small group uh, kind of discussion questions. There's a, there's a five-week devotional that we'll all be reading and praying through together as a church. It's got giving tips and resources and guides. It's got pictures of the new building. It's got the scope, the schematic, the plan. And, and so it's going to be a really valuable piece that is going to help you make this very important decision. But in addition to that, I want to offer a resource, and here, here's what this resource is. It's called The Treasure Principle. We do a book of the month here at Redemption. We pick a book, and we all read it together. And this is going to be a book that's going to help guide you along this journey of generosity. Um, this is one of my favorite books. I read it every year. It's only about 80 pages, but it's packed with so much wisdom when it comes to the idea of stewardship and trusting God when it comes to our finances. And so... You can pick that up on Amazon. I'll post the link in the Connect page as well. And in that guidebook, there is going to be this. This is a commitment card, okay? And on this commitment card, it's going to have a, um, a little way in which you can begin to pray through what the commitment to multiply is going to be. Now, everybody take a deep breath. Okay, let it out. I am not asking you to make a commitment today. Okay, I'm not like that weird guy that asked you out on the first date and said, I want to marry you. God told me you're my wife. I'm not that guy, right? We're going to give a little time to process this together. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you today, would you make a commitment to make a commitment? Yeah. Like if you call Redemption home, would you make a commitment? Like if you're saying like, hey, this is where I, I love this church. I get fed from this church. This is my church. Like this is where I go. If you call Redemption home, this is what I'm asking. Would you make a commitment to make a commitment. Would you make a commitment to over the next couple of weeks to, to, be, to be here in the house, to, to be involved in a small group, to make it a priority, to be in church on Sunday mornings? Would you make a commitment to have a conversation with your spouse? Would you make a commitment to ask the Holy Spirit to join you in that conversation?
vacation with your spouse? Would you make a commitment to plan and to pray and to participate in a meaningful and significant way? At Redemption, if you call us your church, would you make a commitment to join us as we get started on this multiply generosity journey together. Would you make a commitment to make a commitment? So with that being said, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're gonna spend the next five weeks walking line by line through 2 Corinthians chapters eight and nine. It is the largest theological treatise given to the subject of generosity in the Bible. I'm so grateful. How many of y'all love the Bible in here? We got some Bible folk up in here. All right. I am so grateful that I don't have to come up with some generosity initiative by myself. You know why? Because it's actually in God's word. God actually, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he instructed Paul to be able to lead his church through a generosity journey. We actually have a multiply campaign for us in the Bible. Everything we need, God has already given to us in his word. So people often ask this, say, say, why do churches talk about money? You ever heard somebody say that? Why do churches talk about money? You know why churches talk about money? Because the Bible talks about money. The Bible talks about money a lot. And so here at Redemption, we never shy away from God's word because we believe if it's in God's word, it's for our good. And God's word teaches us the importance and the significance of stewarding our finances and being generous when it comes to the mission of God. But here's what Paul is gonna say. I said, I need you to hold this thought in your mind throughout this series and get your note sheet out and go ahead and write notes because we're a note-taking church. But here's the idea, listen to this, is that Money is not the mission. No, no, no. Money is only fuel for the mission. The gospel is the vision. Generosity is just the vehicle. Right? Generosity is just the vehicle that God uses to accomplish his vision of spreading the gospel around the world. Let me give you an illustration to help you understand this. Let's say you want to go to Disney World, right? Let's say you want to go to Disney World. How do you get to Disney World? You don't just close your eyes and wish you were there. That would be amazing, but it's not going to happen. Right? For us with this new building, we don't just close our eyes and then, ooh, all of a sudden it's already built for us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Right? We don't just plant the second campus. Oh, I just wish there was one. Oh, and all there is one now right here. Right? Right? No. So you don't just automatically go to Disney World. What do you have to do? You have to get in your car and drive there. You have to get in a plane and fly there. You need a vehicle that's going to help you accomplish that vision. Now, we have a vision that is better than Disney World. You know what it is? It's about getting people to heaven. We want to see lives changed, souls saved. We want to see people set free, forgiven. We want to see people experience the grace of God on their life. So we need a vehicle that's going to be able to help people get there. What is the vehicle? The vehicle is your generosity, but the gospel is the vision. And so here at Redemption, our vision is to help people experience life change. But it's our generosity that helps make that possible. Money is never the mission. Money is only fuel for the mission to be able to help more people through the ministry. And so Paul's going to teach his church in Corinth this valuable lesson. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be learning this lesson from the Apostle Paul as well. And so open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And the sermon for today is, how do I grow in my generosity? How do I grow in my generosity? Whether you think you're generous or not, 
We all really need to grow in this area because there's always more in store when it comes to following Jesus. Amen. We're going to talk about growing in our generosity. Here's what it says. We'll read it all up front, and then I'll give you a couple of takeaways. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance on their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I love that. In their extreme poverty, they overflowed with a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor to take part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, this blew Paul's mind, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, first to the Lord. And then by the will of God, to us. So first to the Lord, then to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace as well. Over the last year, our church has actually experienced some exponential growth. I mean, it is amazing to see every single week all of the new faces. That's why I want you to go to Next Steps this Sunday and every first Sunday. So if you call Redemption Home and you can get connected because it's getting so hard to try to remember everybody's names. But we love the intentional relationship and the family atmosphere. And so we want you to get connected. God has done some amazing things over the last year in the growth of our church. Like if you've been coming to church here for a year or less, would you just slip your hand up. Just look around the room. People have been coming for almost half of the room today, been coming here for less than a year. That is amazing. Over the last year, we have grown in some amazing ways. Open up in your guidebook to page six, and you're going to see our 2022 year in review. And let me just share with you some numbers in which God is doing here at Redemption Church. My favorite number, which is the first number I want to brag about, is 106 water baptisms last year as a church. Isn't that amazing? That is incredible. That's awesome. Here's another one. We had 10 child dedications last year, but here's the good news. It's like just a few weeks ago, we had 14 child dedications. Okay, some of y'all been multiplying already, amen? <laughs> we, we have 164 in small groups, 144 through Next Steps. 388 was our average attendance and our highest attendance Sunday, the one day y'all all decided to come to church on the same day. We had 592 people. That is amazing, the growth that we've experienced as a church. In fact, I want, I want, to, I want to show you, share with you something, is that in January of 2022, our attendance was 209 people. And then just a few weeks ago on the same Sunday, we had 580. That is a 110% increase in our weekly attendance over the last year. That is amazing. And right now, some people, they're going to be like, well, Byron, for you, is it all about the numbers? No, it's not all about the numbers. Well, God doesn't care about numbers. Yes, he does. He cares about numbers. He even wrote a book called Numbers. <laughs> Say, well, why do you count people? You know why I count people? Because people count. Because you, what you inspect is what you expect. And every single week we expect for people to encounter a living and holy God. 
right? You know, every week there's two types of people who, who come to church, guests and God. They show up every single week. And we love welcoming that. And here's the reason. It's because behind every number is a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. And God is bringing people into our church and we are growing in an exponential way. It is amazing to see what God is doing. And we've grown in our small groups. We've grown in our serve team. We've grown in our attendance. Like our first Wednesday prayer night's so big, we might have to do a second Wednesday prayer night because there ain't no room for people as they grow in their hunger for the presence of God in their lives. Guys, we have grown in every single area as a church. And now it's time for us to focus on growing in this area. What area I'm gonna talk about? Our generosity. In 2021, our annual income as a church was 703,618. That's amazing. Well, as we grew by 110%, we saw that there was only a 17% increase in our giving. So thank you for those who generously give. I appreciate, I'm not upset about it. All it shows me is that we got a new area to work on. Just a new area for us to be able to grow in our faith by trusting God with our finances. See, like God wanted to grow us by sending new people in small groups and, and freedom ministries and, and our Sunday attendance and our serve teams. God has done so much growth in every single area because he was building our faith to be able to trust him to be able to grow in the area of our finances. And so we're not gonna stop focusing on the areas that we've grown, but we are going to be intentional about growing in this area as well. And I believe that when we learn to grow in this area, then we will experience more exponential growth in these other areas. Say, well, how do we grow in our finances? Well, again, back to the Bible. The Bible gives us the key to be able to understand growth when it comes to generosity. Here's what Paul says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. So how do we grow in our finances? Here's the secret. It's not to focus on your income, but to focus on your outlook. You want to grow in your finances? Here's what you need to do. You need to grow in your faith. Give yourself first to the Lord. As you begin to trust God and surrender to him and you make sacrifices to him, as you begin to give yourself first to the Lord, then the second thing is going to naturally take care of itself. Jesus said it like this, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We give ourselves first to the Lord. And I believe that as a church, if we would just give ourselves first to the Lord, then when it comes to our secondary goal, we will not only succeed, but we will exceed what God has in store for us. That it is not only possible, but rather it is providential to experience the move of God that is waiting here in our church. That's why we say this, our number one goal for Multiply is 100% engagement. That anyone and everyone who calls redemption home would go all in and putting God first and giving to God first by putting God first in their lives. If you call redemption home, we are a God first church learning to put God first in our lives. And then our secondary goal is the three million in generosity necessary to be able to accomplish this goal. But here, here's what I believe. I believe that if we learn to put God first, then the rest will be blessed. 
that when we learn to put God first, the rest will be blessed. We've seen it in every area. We've seen it when we put God first in our, our families, put God first in our priorities, put God first in our marriage, put God first in our jobs, put God first in our children, put God first in these areas of our lives. As we learn to seek after God, we've experienced breakthrough after breakthrough in every other area of our life. Well, what is true in those areas is true in this area. When we put God first, the rest will be blessed. So as a church, we're going to be learning what it looks like to put God first. And when we have 100% engagement, then I believe the secondary goal will be accomplished. Someone asked me, they said, Byron, what would you do if somebody just gave you a check for $3 million? And I said, are you offering? <laughs> he said, no, but what if you would? I say, well, even if somebody tried to pave the whole thing, I still would do multiply. And here's the reason why. Because if we don't teach you how to put God first, we have not succeeded. It's about teaching people the joy that comes from learning to put God first in every area of your life, especially in the area of finances. And so we're gonna talk about that in the remaining moments. I wanna teach you four principles that we see that come out of this. How do we grow in our generosity? See, the tip is to not focus on your income, but rather to focus on your outlook. The tip is this, is first you need to grow in your area of spiritual awareness. He introduces us to the Macedonians, and here's what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the church of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor to take part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. Now, the church in Corinth was a very large church. It was a very wealthy church. It was a port city and it made a lot of money and they were very bougie, okay? okay they were one of those bougie churches, right? And, and, and Paul's writing to them and he talks to them about the Macedonians who are in a severe test of affliction and in a time of poverty. Commentators would say that the reason for this poverty is there was an earthquake that came through and devastated their entire region. They were a rural church in the middle of nowhere, and they had a massive earthquake that brought about, about damage to their church. But then when it came time for them to collect an offering for a capital campaign that Paul was working on, what does it say? It says, even in their poverty, they overflowed with a wealth of generosity. And a lot of times people would oftentimes look at and they say, well, now is just not a good time to give. Now is just not a good time to get involved because we've got other things that we need to worry about. We need to, we've got other things that we need to take care about. Some people would look at the way that the Macedonians gave and they would say, it is foolish for them to do what they did. But Paul would commend them and say, it is never foolish to give what you cannot keep, to gain what you cannot lose. It is always a good time to give. When we come to this capital campaign for us here at Redemption with the Generosity Initiative, some people would look at us and they say, Byron, it is foolish for you to start a generosity initiative and ask people to give to build a new building. I mean, with the interest rates that everything's going and with all the inflation, planting a second campus, sending more missionaries, dedicating and giving more funds away. Byron, it's just not a good time. I mean, look at the economy. The government's printing money like it's monopoly money, right? I mean, think about it, like eggs and toilet paper used to be so cheap, I would throw them at people's houses that I didn't like. I said, now is not a good time, but it's always a good time to give. Listen, 
The Macedonians understood this, that they will not allow their circumstances to prevent them from participating in what God is doing. They recognized that they were in the middle of a move of God. They recognized that God was up to something. They recognized that the finger of God was in this moment. And then it says that they were begging for the opportunity to give. Listen, when was the last time you saw people banging down the door of a church say, take my money, take my money? Like, that's what they were doing because they had the spiritual awareness to recognize that what God was doing was not normal. And so they gave themselves first to the Lord and then they gave themselves to others. Listen, do not allow the circumstances to prevent you from participating in the move of God. Do you know, like right now, what we are experiencing as a church, we are in the middle of a move of God. I mean, in a day where COVID has shut down churches and the division that's happening in our nation, progressive pastors going woke, going broke, people leaving the church all the time. What we are experiencing in the growth is unnormal, is unnatural. It's not normal for us. But yet here we find ourselves at, I mean, every single week, last week, we had 28 prayer cards filled out. We had to start service late, not just because I went over time, but because the prayer line went too long because people are getting breakthrough on a Sunday morning, like at our first Wednesday prayer nights, it's packed. The altars are filled. We had a woman who was healed just last week. I mean, we've seen women who was healed of a, a blood disorder. We had another man who had a broken arm, went to the doctor the next week. The arm was completely healed and they held up both x-rays. They said, it just doesn't make sense. We are seeing miracles happen. We are in the middle of a move of God. And so when I think about giving, well, I don't think it was foolish for me to give. I think it'd be foolish for me not to to. Like when I think about the situation we're in, I don't think about the problems. I think about the stories. Like I think about when you first started coming to the church and who you are today, I can't help but give because I know what a difference it's made in your life. I, I, think about, I think about your story, my man, and how God's just been radically working in your heart. And so when I give, I'm not just thinking about well, all this. I'm thinking about you. I'm giving for, for, for what God's doing in your life. When I think about the people who were baptized, I, I think about you when you used to unload the train drive in, drive out, and then you, seven years later, you're married, you got a baby, you got a job. Like God's done amazing things through the giving. I give because of the stories that God is doing. It would be foolish for me to not participate when I have received so much from this church. And so the, 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 the Macedonians, they say, I will not allow my problems to prevent me from participating in what God is doing. God is doing something great, and we cannot wait. We must act now. The second thing is you grow in your spiritual maturity. Now, we love studying the Bible here at Redemption. Every single week, we go verse by verse through books. And what I always teach you is this. If you want to understand the key to unlocking a passage, it is by finding repeated words or phrases. So what word or phrase shows up over and over again here? It's this word grace. Okay, four times in this text, grace or favor, same word, nine times throughout all the scriptures. And what that shows is this, is that giving is actually a gift. What is grace? It's a, it's a gift. It's undeserved, unmerited favor that comes from the Lord. The ability to give is a gift. And only those who grow in their spiritual maturity will recognize that we don't have to give, we get to give. That it is a joy to be generous. Look what he says here. He says, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. It's, a, it's an act of grace. It is an act of spiritual maturity 
whenever you learn how to give. Whenever we see people, oftentimes, what Martin Luther says is the last part of a person who gets saved is their wallet. Martin Luther, he talked about it like when people get baptized that they go under, but their wallet stays up, right? Because oftentimes what people are doing is they're, they're building their trust and their faith in God. So it's really easy to give God your sin. It's hard to trust God with your stuff though. Like it's easy to say, God, I'll give you everything. I'll give you my marriage because I, I haven't done it right. I've made a mess of my, my marriage and my family. So God, you can take that too. And God, I, I trust you with this and I trust you with the job and I trust you with my prayer. And as your trust begins to increase in every other area, once God has proven himself to be faithful, then the finances typically are the last part of a person who they learn to truly trust God. It's an act of maturity. This is my story. Like my story is this, I got saved at the age of 20 and I got saved and I joined a really good church. And I would go in a small group. I was on the serve team. I worked in the youth ministry. I would go every single Sunday that I didn't have a hangover at the beginning, but eventually God worked that out too. <laughs> I would go all the time. And I remember for three years, I got married in that church, discipled in that church. I got called into ministry in that church. And one day I was sitting there during worship, just like in one of these services. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, Byron, do you love your church? I said, absolutely. I love my church. He said, well, why don't you give to your church? In three years, I had never given a dime to that church. God said, why don't you give to your church? And I said, why don't you mind your own business, God? <laughs> Let somebody else foot the bill. Let somebody else handle it. I'm a broke college kid. I'm waiting tables. My, I, I don't have any money. God said, why don't you give to your church? The first year me and Ashley were married, we made a combined income of $18,000. And the Lord dealt with me about my level of generosity. So I went home and I made a deal with God. I said, God, whatever I make on a Saturday morning, first cut lunch shift, I will give to, to, to you. Now, if you ever worked in a restaurant, here's what you know, that Saturday morning, first cut lunch shifts, you basically show up, roll silverware and go home. Like that's all the faith I had to trust God with when it came to my finances. Well, a few weeks of that go by and then all of a sudden one day I got a really big party table and they tipped me $100. Like that's the goal, make a bill. I come home, I said, Ashley, I made $100. And she said, you mean God gave you $100. That belongs to God. You need to give it. So the next Sunday, as the plates were going by, now listen, I had never considered uh, putting money in the plate, but I'd always thought about taking money out of the plate, right? <laughs> And as the plate goes by, I look, at, I look at Ashley and she's got a smile on her face. And I think about all the things and reasons why I should not give. We're, gonna be, we're never gonna pay our bills. We're gonna be hungry. Like, it's not gonna work out. And she looked and she was still smiling. And, and I was like, all right, well, okay. I dropped the money and the plate went by. And you know what? Nothing bad happened to me. But something amazing happened to me. You know what happened? All of a sudden my heart began to grow. Because Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. My heart for the word of God began to grow. My love for the church began to grow. My heart for prayer began to grow. Like I started thinking about missionaries and how we can support and send more missionaries because now my heart for missions is growing. I just thought about it. Like I'm, in, I'm inviting friends to the church for the first time. Why? Because I care about it. My heart begins to grow and my love for Jesus just begins to grow. And here's what I've discovered is that the more I love Jesus, the more I love to give. Like the more I 
I love Jesus, the more natural giving becomes. The more I love Jesus, the more generous I become. The more I love Jesus, the more I love to give. Guys, generosity is a sign of your spiritual maturity. It is about giving to the things that God loves and supporting the things that God loves. And as you do, your heart will begin to grow because the more you love Jesus, the more you love to give. It is a gift of God's grace. God's grace flows to you. Therefore, God's grace flows through you. And the more grace you've received, the more grace you love to give. It's an act of grace. It's a spiritual maturity. Number three, it's a, it's a spiritual gift. Look what it says right here. It says this, but as you excel in everything, and then he lists a bunch of spiritual gifts in faith. That's the gift of faith and the gift of miracles and signs and wonders in speech, tongues, prophecy, interpretation, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, preaching, teaching, knowledge, gifts, and all earnestness in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, the Corinthians, they were a charismatic style Pentecostal type church. Okay, they were very similar to us at Redemption. God's moving in all of these unique ways and people are being healed and set free and breakthrough is happening and they were known for their spiritual gifts. And then Paul reminds them, do not forget that generosity is a spiritual gift just as important as prophecy or prayer. Generosity, my friends, is a spiritual gift. Did you know that? Generosity is a supernatural spiritual gift. There are some people here in this room that have a supernatural ability that is bestowed upon them by God to make a significant difference in the world that we live in and the way that we minister and operate here as a church. Like I was talking with one guy during our, our we were having lunch and we were discussing about multiply and what's coming next and and I love this guy. He's been in our church for almost the whole entire seven years. He, he started coming when he was just out of prison in a halfway house. He would ride his bike to be able to go to work. He hustled. He worked hard. He would pick up any little job that he could get. And he worked hard. And over these last seven years, God has delivered from his addiction. He's renewed his marriage. He's got, he's got rights with his kids. God's totally restored this man's life, turned it around. He has a business where now he hires people from our church or just got out of prison and disciples them along the way. And I was sitting there, how do you go from being homeless to building homes? That's what he does. How do you go from homeless to building homes? Was it AA? Was it small? What, what was the breakthrough process for you? And he looked at me right in the eye and said, Pastor, I just gotta tell you, it was only whenever I learned how to give. Like when I learned how to give, everything in my life changed. Like even the little bit that I had, I gave it away. And the more I gave away, the more God kept giving back to me. And the more opportunities to give, I took those opportunities and God gave me more opportunities to give. There's been several times he's cleared out his entire bank account to be able to give away. That is a supernatural gift that God has given him. That is a blessing. That is a prayer. That is a gift that God has given to this man. He told me, you can't outgive God. I've tried. And he keeps showing up in every single way. You know why? I think one of the reasons that the devil would love to shame pastors into talking about money and for church to be silent about money is because Satan knows that there are people with a radical spiritual gift that are sitting inside the church with no opportunity to be able to use their passions or their gifts for the kingdom. And if we don't talk about money, that money will remain unredeemed and it will never impact eternity. But when the church teaches about radical generosity, people's hearts right now are being opened and 
and they're saying, oh, I can make a significant difference because when you use your gifts, you make a difference. You're making a difference in people's lives. Like you may never go to Africa, but when you send my Jacob Jester, my brother, when you send him to Africa, you are training 400 pastors in Africa. Like you may never go to Saudi Arabia, but we got missionaries down there in closed nations. You may never go there, but you go there with your giving. Every person who steps in this baptism water, it's for the glory of God, but it would not be possible if it wasn't for you. We got a hundred kids in the back right now learning about Jesus, and that's your giving that makes that possible. When you give, you are making a difference in people's lives. I believe there are going to be people lined up in heaven sitting next to you at the wedding feast of the Lamb. How'd you get here? Actually, I got here because you gave. You made a difference in my life. You made a difference in my life. When you give, you learn that God always takes that gift, blesses it, multiplies it, and he's able to spread it out so that way more people can experience life change. There is a supernatural gift. Now, others of you are like, Byron, that ain't me. (laughs) That ain't me. Some people got the gift. I ain't got the gift. Does that mean I don't have to give? No, because for you, that it would be like me, you need to learn some discipline. Like some people, it just comes naturally. And some people, it takes a lot of hard work, which is the last thing we see is that it takes discipline. According, we urge that Titus, as he started, so he would complete this act of grace among you. Now compare that last point. Some people have the gift and some people need to learn how to be disciplined. Right here we are, it's February. He talks about starting and making sure you finish well. How many people had a New Year's resolution to hit the gym, but that hasn't really gone out as well as you hoped, right? Because we're really good at starting, but we're not often that good at finishing, right? I mean, when you go to the gym, what what, what takes it? How, How do you finish strong? Well, it takes discipline. Like you don't just start off day one, just bench pressing 350. No, right, you gotta start small, start somewhere, and then you move on from there. Like when I first started working out, I could barely put 10s. And now just last week, I was up to 45s, a plate on each side, just, oh, right? Like I would, but it took me a year to be able to get there. But what was it that made that possible? It wasn't my dreams, it was my discipline. It was the discipline that made it possible. And guys, it was uncomfortable. Like I don't like waking up early and exercising. I don't like going to the gym after I get off of work, before I go home and eat. I don't like going five times a week. I don't like it, but it took discipline. But you know what? In our own spiritual life, it takes discipline. Like when you started to pray, you didn't just pray for 24 hours straight and join the prayer team, right? Praying at the beginning was hard. Like I struggled with prayer because it felt like I was just talking to the ceiling. Or think about it like fasting. We just finished our fast. Praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah. Pass me that chicken nugget, amen. I don't like fasting food. I like fast food, right? I love fast food. I don't like fasting food. It was difficult, but that's the point because it's about discipline. And when it comes to growing in our generosity, you have a choice. As a church, we could choose comfort or we could choose growth, but we can't have both. In your life, you can choose what's comfortable, but by making that comfortable choice, you will never step out in faith and experience God's growth for what's next. You have a choice. You can have comfort or you can have growth, but you cannot have both. You need to make a choice. What does it look like for you to grow in your generosity? And I'll be honest, sometimes that means you gotta get uncomfortable to do so. 
Me and Ashley, we've already been praying about this, so we know what our level of commitment is gonna look like. Now for us, we, we believe in something that is known as a tithe. We give 10% first and best to the Lord, but we wanna be like the Macedonians to give beyond our means. And so we've actually increased our tithe by a few extra uh, percentage points. But that still didn't meet the goal that God had placed inside of our hearts. And so here's what me and Ashley have been praying through and we're still working through it. But what our decision was is this, is we're gonna be sacrificial in our giving. So Ashley's car will be paid off at the end of this month. We have one more car note. We're working on paying that off and we're gonna roll over her car note into multiply over these next two years. So instead of her getting a new car and I get the hand-me-down, I'm gonna keep driving the 2010 Yaris. It's a sacrifice. In addition to that, every year we receive tax and bonus incomes. So we've also pledged to give that as well, sacrifice. We're gonna forego our vacations and we're gonna have a staycation for the next couple of years because we believe in what God is doing here. And it's uncomfortable. You know what? I believe God is gonna grow us, not just as a church, but us as family and individuals as we learn to put God first and then give ourselves to you. Now, for some of you, that's like, well, where do I start? Well, that's a great question. We're gonna talk about that for the remainder of, of Multiply. For some of you, just hearing the idea of 10%, you're like, I can never do that. That is radical generosity. For others of you, financially, you're well off and 10% is not sacrificial in any means. What I would say is this, is you start somewhere and you grow from there. Like here's what we say all the time, is everyone has a next step when they follow Jesus. You never run out of next steps when you follow Jesus. For some of you, your next step is to go from zero to something. Like you haven't given yet, but the Lord is stirring in your heart and then you're gonna make a commitment to make a commitment to begin to give. And that percent could be 5%. You're like, I can't do 10, but I can do five. Well, okay, let's go from zero to five. You know what that is? That's like a 5,000% increase in your generosity. Excellent, excellent, Ex exponential growth, right? But some of you, you're at 5%. Your challenge for your next step could be go to 7%. Some of you are at 7% by faith. Move up to eight, 8% to 10%. Some of you at 10%. Maybe sacrificial giving looks like one of the men in our church who recently liquidated $40,000 in stocks and made that as a donation towards helping us get Multiply up off the ground. That's a sacrificial lifetime giving gift that that person did. I don't know what your step looks like. That's between you, God, and your spouse. But what I am asking is this, would you make a commitment to make a commitment? Would you make a commitment to make a commitment? A commitment to to say, pastor, I'm in. I've received so much, therefore it is a blessing and a joy to be able to give back. God, I, I wanna be like the Macedonians who even in my extreme poverty, I overflow with a wealth of generosity. I will not let problems prevent me from participating in the move of God.